You're listening to episode 48. This is Grace on Fire. Join your virtual pastor as he offers insight and inspiration into topics we all face. Be empowered. Gain confidence with God's grace so you can face life's most challenging problems. When you integrate faith in every aspect of your life, you can live an extraordinary one for a higher purpose. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. And hello, Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, your virtual pastor, and my goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose. Today on the show, I have a very special guest, Pastor Ty Wiss, who is the founder of Walls Down Ministry, whose mission is to equip the Christian church to better reach out to and love the LGBT community effectively through the power of the gospel. Ty, thank you so much for being on the show, and welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's now, good to see you. Now, Ty, where are you? Uh, where do you base? Where's your base out of? Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Indianapolis, Indiana. So this is amazing because here I am in Orlando, Florida, and I'm so excited that we can connect about you know actually connect via the internet. I love this. I love the fact that you can be in Indiana, I could be here in Orlando, and we can come together on a mission. And that mission is to love the LGBT plus community. Ty, thank you for being here. Tell us about what Walls Down is. That point of your ministry. Yeah, walls down. Um, when I, you know, when I first got the the vision for for walls down, um, you know, a lot of people wanted me to talk to their LGBT loved one, and which was great. I love talking to gay people, people struggling with their sexuality in, in some some way, shape, or form. Um, but I'm just one person, and really, a lot of the a lot of the people that reached out to me were people that had never struggled, and so I really wanted to equip the Christian church to be able to. Um, to really to be able to reach the people that they already have relationship with, uh, because those are the people, those are the hands and feet of Jesus already. And so, um, so that was that was really kind of my goal. And I saw that the conservative church really was really struggling quite intensely uh, to really uh, gain some footing and some ground here in this issue, and this uh, not just this issue, but with this community of people, which is really the more important thing is that this is a community of people that has really kind of been neglected and pushed to the side and really hasn't been reached for Jesus. And so. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to equip the Christian church to be able to to better reach out and remove any type of stumbling block uh, on their way to meet Jesus. So, you know, I, I find so much a common ground between the two of us, and as we've talked and as our relationship has developed over the past six months, uh, actually, I think it's only been about four months because I met you back in December when yeah. you were down in Orlando at the Pulse at the six month anniversary of the Pulse shooting, and um, you know, for me, the common ground here is that. I, uh, having done doctoral research into the area and having approached it from a theoretical point of view, what I observed was the exact same thing, was that there was a church, there was the church has just, I, okay, so you're kinder than I am. So I'm going to say that we've just failed miserably in this one area. I mean, there's so many areas that we do well now, and except for this one. And, and I think it's just because there's been this massive problem of pol- political issues, cultural issues, conflicting together. And to me, this is the leading edge of ministry. And you're absolutely right. I I like to say it's the cutting edge of ministry because how we respond to this issue, how we cultivate a gospel message uh, in this issue, to me, it seems like the the world or, or the culture itself is going to respond and say, okay, well, what is it about your Jesus that you really have to say? So I think it's a gospel issue. I think it's an, yeah. it's it's critical. It's a critical place. And so you know, um, let's let's get into this now. First of all, before we go on, you are also a pastoral counselor, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so tell yeah, us, I- tell us a little bit about that work that you do. 
Yeah, so um, I'm part of East 91st Street Christian Church here in Indianapolis, and um, I'm just one of their pastoral counselors, and uh, we had just have a whole team of counselors, which is cool to be part of a team here. And um, we all have different areas of expertise or niches, and and uh, and mine is uh, just helping people with their sexual identity and faith. And so um, that's kind of what I major in and, and really try to help, it's really just to try to provide a safe place for people to sort through and really come to a sense of, are these my values? What are my values regarding sexuality? I know what I've been told, but do I even really believe that this is what the Bible says? And so just kind of giving people a safe place to sort through those things. And, uh, and you know, the Holy Spirit is very, very faithful. And when you give somebody a safe place without judgment, um, the Holy Spirit is able to work in that place and really allow um, values to emerge. Um, and uh, for a sexuality that um, that honors him, people people want to serve God. I think they just don't know how, <laughs> and so which is really kind of for all of us. You know, that's that's not um, that's not unique to people just struggling with their sexual identity. That's for all of us. We want to serve God, but sometimes we just don't know how. And so so yeah, so that's what I try to do is I just try to provide a safe place for people uh, to sort through those things and then give insights on what's helped me, what's worked for me. So. Well, now I know that you have a, a personal story that's attached to yeah. this. And so why don't we transition a little bit and why don't you share with the audience here about your personal journey uh, as it relates to your own sexual identity? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll try to be as brief as I can, but also thorough. Um, you know, I grew up um, in in the Midwest um, where what I meant to be male was pretty narrow. Um, and I don't think that made me gay, but I think and I guess as a young boy, I just really felt like I was just a sorry excuse for a male. And that was, I don't think anybody ever told me that, but that was the lie that was in my mind. And that made me really insecure. Um, so you couple that insecurity with six years of sexual abuse um, and living in a society where sex is God and where feelings uh, rule the day. Um, I eventually came out of the closet when I was, or I identified as gay when I was 12 and then came out of the closet at 17. So, um, so that's a short, really short view of my childhood, but, um, that was what I, I, I don't think I really even remember a time where I haven't struggled with my sexuality that started when I was nine. And, um, and so, uh, I, so I came out as gay when I was 17. Okay. So then one of the questions that I'd like to ask you right there yeah. is because I think there's, there is a misnomer in a culture. And actually, I don't know that it's such a misnomer, but the truth of the matter is, is that very often, particularly within males, that the, the sexual identification, uh, if we want to call it that way, sexual identity and that identification really does begin at a very early age. And have yep. you found that consistent in, in your practice and as a counselor and, and as a minister? Yeah, yeah. So even what, um, not only just even in my findings and my uh, in my experience, but also in really what is also rooted in research, has also been uh, the fact that uh, male sexual identity seems to be seems to be uh, pretty set pretty early, um, and and it's not that there's not any room for for shifting, uh, but it remains fairly constant um, in contrast with female sexuality, which is a a lot more fluid. Um, but I think to even to even talk about our sexuality, I think we need to talk in, in ways that would honor that in, in a way that says that our sexuality is really kind of on a continuum. Like there aren't these LGBT straight boxes um, that we so easily like to fit people into. Um, people have a range of different feelings that sometimes will ebb and flow. And sometimes we feel like, so, like sexuality is so fixed that there's no room for change or no room for, for shifting at all. Um, 
but in my experience, I mean, I've, I've met many people that have experienced different shifts and fluidity in their sexuality. In, you know, I think that that what I love the word fluidity. I think that that's one of the things that sometimes that we have forgotten. And so, you know, going back to where you started with your um, where actually where you started your testimony, you talked about this rigid category of what it means to be a male in the Midwest. And then therefore, if you do not fit into that category, if you're not yep. in that that constraint, then somehow you're not as you know, you're not manly or, or whatever it is. And in yep. fact, you know, and I think that that's probably a common theme throughout no matter where you are, if you're in the Midwest or if you're up north or if you're down in the south, um, you know, in the south, we, we talk a lot about uh, fishing, hunting and those sort of things as it as it relates. And if you don't like college football, then forget about it. Um, which by the way, I do like college football, but anyways, we won't, we won't go there and make this my own test of masculinity today. But anyways, you know, it's true. I mean, we have these stereotypes of what maleness is Mm -hmm. and then I'm just curious in, in, this is an ebb and flow kind of conversation today. So, you know, I'm just wondering that if that's part of the problem is that we've, we've created such, you know, these concrete, um, stereotypes. And then for those young males, especially 10, 12 who don't fit into that, then we've created uh, almost like a club, I don't know, a club, but uh, something that says you, you don't belong. Is, is that something that you see? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that I've met really any gay person. You know, every gay person's story is different, but I don't know that I've met any gay person that hasn't struggled with some form of their um, sense of masculinity or femininity. And so I think people have, there's a a weight that's given uh, for different people's stories. um, And I think people have the right to to define that and give the weight to that. But for me, my gosh, uh, masculinity was, uh, has been something of a massive burden, not in my life, not because um, I didn't want to be male, but because it's hard, it was hard for me. And really, in a lot of ways, still continues to be difficult for me to really accept my gender as a or masculinity as a blessing in this culture so i enjoy being male it's hard for me to enjoy being male in this culture well what do you well let's say so what do you mean by that it's hard for you to enjoy being male in this culture yeah so i think uh, it's hard for me to find a place where where i can say i'm a masculine male and that's the best that god has for me and i enjoy expressing this version of masculinity um in the peer group and in the people that, that I'm surrounded with. So, um, so something even as simple as, you know, like you were saying to, you know, hunt fish farm, work on cars, use women and drink beer was my, uh, was the, the example set forth of what masculinity is. And, um, it's hard to find community. It's hard to find. I mean, so even finding men that are comfortable with their sexuality, um, and, um, just expressing it, you know, in, in ways other than what I just described is kind of a rarity. And, um, and so I think that, I don't think that most of those things are wrong necessarily. It's just that it's, it's hard to find community, um, and say that there are different types of men. So it it was hard for me to to even, even think of myself as a man, because I really, in my, at least in my mind, I saw one type of man and there's one option for you. If you don't fit into that, then, um, then you have failed at masculinity rather than, than there being multiple expressions of masculinity. And so... And so I, I'm going to assume that uh, a young child uh, who's 10, 11, even 14, 15, 16 is not thinking in this way. That they're not thinking, oh, well, you're not, you're not actually um, accepting my version of masculinity, therefore. No, that's not what they're thinking at all. Right. Yeah. No, it's just they're just perceiving. So, so kids are, are excellent observers, but very poor interpreters. Um, and so 
my view or my my observation was this is what men are like and this is what it means to be male. I don't fit into that at all. So what does that mean about me? And so I'm drawing these massive conclusions when I'm when I'm young. And and to be honest, I mean there are, are plenty of things that I feel like God has given me, that there are gifts that God has given me, but in this culture those things aren't allowed to be celebrated as as part of um, giftings and as part of the uh, the identity as a son of God. So, and one just one very quick example would just be uh, my gift to design and to create. Um, what I was the stereotype that goes along with that is that oh well that's because you're gay, and and I feel like over time God has said no that's because you're my son, and you're my boy, and I'm a creator and I'm a designer, and that's my gifting that I gave you. Does that make sense? And so so there's got to be a place for 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 us to celebrate these things that that even really should not even be related to sexuality or related to sex, um, that somehow have gotten so wrapped up in this is what it means to be gay or this is what it means to be straight. You know, actually, I, I can I can relate to that in many different ways because I think that you you hit on something here that's critical. What I think has happened is is we've allowed sexual identity to become the center of how we interpret reality. Rather than sexuality being a part of another center. In other words, what I'm saying here is that it's a periphery, not a center. It's one of the variables inside of the world of how we interpret reality. And so like you said, and, and, I, and I, thought, I thought that you said it perfectly, and you've said it before, and I've heard you say this. You, you thought, oh, because you like to design and you like to create, therefore, or it's because you're gay. You kept going back to um, this idea of, of sexual identity as gay being the interpretive grid for everything else, right? Right. It was really just kind of a filter that had been set on my on set uh, before me, and so so from gosh, the music that I listened to, the way that I walked, the the way that I dressed, all of those things could were all were tied to sexual to my sexual identity, and so. Um, but that also, I also even kind of like to say that when I finally said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gay, and I'm out and proud about that," that actually gave me permission to accept those gifts, and so it was almost kind of like a relief that I was gay because I was like, oh, this is just the reason that I'm different, which I think is, I think a lot of people would disagree with in their minds, but we all have this belief system where we've all been raised in this culture where we feel like we can, we know who's gay and who's not. Oh, well, this person, uh, I kind of have this feeling that he's gay. Well, why? Did you see him having sex with someone? Did he tell you he, who he was attracted to? Or do you just think that he dresses well and he's good at design and he likes music that maybe isn't 80s music? Hey, so, hey, be so. very careful right now on the 80s music. <laughs> I know, but, but I, as soon as I say that 80s music, people, we were all on board until I say that. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, you're a young man. <laughs> so, but, you know, you didn't trash the 90s, so as long as you stay away from the 90s, I'll be okay there. But there was a few hairband episodes there that I love. So anyways, but we, that, I'm just sort of outing myself as, as where I'm at my age. Anyhow. But no, I think you're right, and I, I I think that one of the frustrations. Well, you know, there was some, I don't know if you might even be familiar with this term. There was a term that was thrown around. This is about 15 years ago, and this was the term, and I don't hear it very often today. Um, it was a term that I heard associated. It, it was around the 2000s, early 2000s, and the term was uh, metrosexual. And this this term was a term that had essentially a straight man who had these various characteristics that may have been associated with a gay man. And, and it was as if we had to create a term 
to fit a person that didn't even ex- you know what i'm saying it was like Absolutely. oh no he's metrosexual well what are you talking about <laughs> right. it was like this is the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard in my life and in fact the funny thing is is i just recently i heard a guy use the term he was like i think he's in his late 40s maybe late 50s and i was like you just sound old be quiet don't talk anymore <laughs> sure. you're, you're, goodness yeah, gracious like, you know, we up with a reason for for why straight men have may have a an interest in and things that may be stereotypically stereotypically gay rather than just saying no they're just a guy right and, and it He's able to celebrate the the differences of of expression of giftings that God has given people. Well, this we're we're kind of making light of this, but this is actually a very serious issue. And sure. and the reason why I see it as a serious issue is because in the ministry that I work in uh, as well is is the same as yours. What I often find I hear is I hear gay men will say to me, uh, particularly those who are are trying to walk away from a particular. Um, identity. I think that's the best way of playing. They're, they're no longer saying I'm gay. They're trying to come up with an alternative, but they have developed a life that is centered around their sexual identity. And now they're trying to replace that sexual identity as the center with their faith. And that's what they're trying to do. But then they don't know how to interpret all of their other behaviors. So they'll say things like, you know, I need to have a relationship with a straight guy. I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure you've probably had lots of relationship with straight guys over the years. What are they saying? What, when you hear that, you know, how do you interpret that? Hmm. Um, I, could you clarify? Well, clarify sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Particularly, uh, I have a couple of, of men in mind that I'm thinking about that I, I currently am, am friends with. And one of the things that they'll say is they'll say to me, they'll say, you know, it's, uh, thank you so much for being my friend. And let me, sure. And then they'll say, it's important for me to develop relationships with that with straight men so I know how to relate to them, is what they're saying. And sure. the way that I interpret that is, is that they're still working and developing relationships through this interpretive grid of sexual identity. And so therefore, they're not, they're looking for a new way of connecting that is not based upon sex, but it's based upon friendship. And it's as if they don't fully understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish. I'm, I'm just curious if you've run into this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that that's something even, you know, certainly stuff that things that I have experienced as well when I became a Christian. Um, well, and one of the things that I was told was that you just need healthy same sex relationships and this whole, and, and really kind of the implication was, and this whole gay thing will kind of melt away, which the whole gay thing did not melt away. My right. attractions didn't go away. But however, it has been really, really helpful for me to develop healthy same-sex relationships because of the way that I knew to relate to men from the time I was 9 to 16, um, 15 or 16, was was to be used sexually. And so that was how I connected with men. And sex is a, has a very powerful tool of connecting people. God created it that way. And so, but my brain had been wired and my identity had been uh, wrapped around the fact that the way that I relate to men and receive affection from them is to trade my body. Um, and so, so obviously I knew that was wrong, but just because I knew morality, just because I knew I had new values now, it didn't mean the old inclinations and the old desires and all of those, the way that I knew how to relate went away. And so to have Christian men uh, feel, uh, help me to feel safe with them, emotionally safe, and to know that the closer, that we, the, the more vulnerable I am doesn't mean uh, this is heading towards a sexual experience. That was really helpful for me to know that this person was, was safe, and um, but that I could also connect with them in such a way that said, um, 
you're valuable and you mean a lot you, you mean a lot to me and you're what's in your heart I want to know about the good bad and indifferent and so for all for to, for me to experience those things with uh, straight Christian men has been a really profound um, soul feeding experience I guess if I don't think I've ever used that term but really it fed my soul and I think God is God designed it that way for, for that to happen so um, I really kind of had to reorient some of my uh, the way that I learned to relate to men and um, because having sex with men really I mean as it was a pleasurable experience, but it was also um, a shaming experience as well. And so, but for me to get get those emotional needs met uh, through friendships has been a really satisfying experience that um, that I really thank God for. So, one of the things I'd like to peel into you for you know into into, into this conversation just a minute, I think, just to get a little bit of clarity here, because you said something here that I'm not sure it's a universal, but you helped me uh, with this because because in in my own testimony here. Uh, I, I haven't walked the path that you've walked. So I am your Christian pastor. I like to refer to myself as your, you know, your typical Christian pastor who has looked at, at this issue and the issue being of how do we minister to the LGBT plus community? Sure. And, and so I am looking at this and so I'm hearing this need now. And so it is hard for me when I listen to, um, when I listen to a man with same sex attractions and he is saying to me, I need that relationship with you. What I hear him saying, actually what I hear you saying, is that the issue there is to be able to to build a healthy relationship non-sexually. Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. Where and, and specifically where you share your heart with me and I share my heart with you. And a lot of straight men, a lot of men in general in our culture, but a lot of straight men in particular, um, don't know how to do that. Oh, no, because, they don't know. No, we're, because, we're boneheads. <laughs> because a lot of straight men have said, uh, well, that means you're feminine or that means you're gay. If I share my heart and enjoy sharing my heart with another man, that's, that's too, that's too close or that's too, um, that's too gay. And I don't want to be even associated with being gay. And so I can't even be there in that space. And yet at the same time, God created us in such a way that, that where men need to be able to share their experience with one another. Um, and so, uh, so I, I guess in my experience, it's been a rare find, and I've got several men in my life that I'm able to share my heart with, and that are able to share. Uh, they share their heart with me, and that has been a. And so it's more than just um, going out and hanging out and grabbing dinner. It's hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you contain that? Can you um, provide a space where I'm I'm not overwhelming you? Uh, because that was kind of the lie that the lie and the the wound in my life was that every any time that I shared my heart or what was going on in here um, inside my heart, it was too much for people and people ran. And so, so to have men say, "Hey, I, I want to know what's in your heart. I want to know what you're struggling with, and whatever you're struggling with, whether I have a grid for it or not, isn't going to overwhelm me or push me away." That those have been the the healing relationships for me. Um, and have allowed the, a very insecure heart uh, to be put at rest. You know, I, I really appreciate your your vulnerability as well as your honesty here because I find it first of all refreshing of how you are framing this conversation and the in the way that you are talking about healthy relationships and and vulnerability. Because I think that one of the things that I've learned, particularly um, in my own journey, of working with um, men with same sex attractions. Um, what I have learned from them is the the need, the need of vulnerability 
and being yeah. able to develop a healthy way for men to do that. Now, I think it is different for men versus women. And I, I do see gender differences here. And I think sure. that sometimes what happens is, is that men don't know how to do it. But I have learned in my own journey as well on, on how to you know do this, that part of it is just building friendships. And, and part of it is just doing things together, spending time together. It's not like just going out and having lunch, as you've talked about. Uh, it you know It's just spending time together. So um, a couple of weeks ago, and I've said this on the podcast, do you know what the savage race is? Do you know what this is? Have you seen this thing before? All right. So the Savage Race, let me explain this to you. Savage Race is a six mile run and it's, you know, packed full of 26 obstacles. And it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I've got bruises all over my body from doing this crazy thing. My left leg still hurts because of the pounding that I put on it. And uh, anyways, but it was a lot of fun. It's the first time I've ever done this. And uh, it, it is definitely one of those masculine pumping things that you can go do. And it will throw you way outside your comfort zone. And typically, when you see the pictures of it, it's all these buff guys with like 3% body fat with this <laughs> crazy animalistic look on their face. That's not at all who shows up at these races, by the way. I just want you to know that that's just marketing. It's just marketing because usually it's, it's guys like me out there. And by the way, I finished in 1,000th place out of 2,000. <laughs> So I was dead set in the in the middle. I am so proud of being in the middle. Here's why: because growing up, I was not athletic at all. I mean, uh, you know, I I struggled. I struggled being uh, uh, having weight problems. You know, sex was not my issue growing up. Food was my issue. I had gained tons of weight. Uh, I was picked on, bullied in high school. Um, was was always short. You know, I'm only five seven uh, when I have heels on. Which you know, by the way, I'm not talking about women's shoes. But anyhow, let's <laughs> just go on. Anyway, so I struggle with that. So I understand exactly because you we set up, particularly as young men, we set up these sports uh, figures as the prototype of what being a male is, particularly within athletics in high school. And then I think we do sort of, we put that up in our culture and we see this in our culture with, with even in movies, et cetera. And my point in all of this was that I had to go to the savage race. And this is what I did at the savage race. I went with a couple of other guys, guys. I really didn't know that. Well, some guys that I did know. And as a result of it though, through that experience of going through these obstacles together, the relationship was formed. And what was even more interesting was, is that there was an intimacy developed that goes further down. And it was through the time just being spent and I think that in terms of masculinity, especially that sometimes um, when we're talking about sharing emotions, that we think that we're talking about counseling sessions, and that's not what we're talking about. Right. What we're talking about is just doing life together, going out, maybe grabbing some barbecue, you know, spending time checking up on each other, just normal, healthy relationships. Yeah, shared experiences, I think, I think are a big way that men connect. Absolutely. Whatever they are, you don't have to go do a savage race. I'm crazy. So it's, uh, you know, I, and I, but I'm trying to get some guys to go do this with me. And so far, no, no one has uh, taken me up on my offer, but uh, I am convinced that we'll do this. So anyways, what I wanted to do was just was to affirm you because I think you're right. I think that sometimes, particularly within the church, Mm-hmm. Uh, in small churches especially, you'll have a young man show up, or uh, actually it's not even, it can be a middle-aged man, and they, they you know, say, I'm gay, and then all of a sudden the other men in the room don't know what to do. Sure, It's as if their brains suddenly go into paralysis because they, they don't know. That's like they, And I know, it's like when, you know, 
well, I don't want to go there. But anyways, you just you realize that there is a struggle within the church. Now, I know that you spent a lot of time within the church to to reach out and to love. And you actually started this uh, particular uh, interview with, with, with that idea of going into the church and being able to equip the church. So what does that look like? Well, I, th- I think, first of all, it, it, I think one of the main things that God has helped me with, which well, I didn't even do on purpose, which really tells me that it was the Holy Spirit. And when I started to tell my story, I felt like people connected with it, not just because they started to understand um, a gay person's experience, but because they saw that it was a human issue, that the things, that the themes in my life, so my, except my sexuality, my brokenness expressed itself in homosexuality, but um, the th- things that I was dealing with were shame, um, need for intimacy, need for connection. And those are very human, very, very human things. Um, I struggled with identity. Um, I struggled with idolatry. Um, again, very, very human things that we can all relate to. And so I think what has helped and what the Holy Spirit did on purpose, but me doing by accident, um, is bringing homosexuality, homosexuality down and same-sex attraction down to this very human level, down from a high place, I like to say, um, in our culture. And so that people don't when people look at the gay person they're not thinking other they're thinking shared humanity and so when when i can see your struggle even though i've never struggled with that um because i've never struggled with my weight I, I was the very thin very frail kid no matter what i ate um and always but when i when i hear your story i don't think other i think shared humanity um we, we all struggle with something. And so that doesn't make me put you into another box and, and want to keep you at an arm's, arm's length. It draws me actually closer to you and makes me want to pray for you, put my arm around you and affirm you. And I think that that's really what I like to help the church, especially men, um, do is, uh, is not look at the gay man and think other. But, that, that, but to think, that guy's just like me. He struggles in different ways, uh, but our shared humanity is the same. His his deep needs are the same as my deep needs, and I think when when men get that, um, I think it it helps for their brain to come back online. And so, even when they hear, "Oh, I hey, I struggle with same sex attraction," they're they're not like, oh, "I don't know what to do with that." Well, sure, you know what to do with that. Put your arm around the person, love them, and pray for them. Make them feel like a brother. Um, make them feel like part of something. Um, so it, it's not, we don't need special tips and techniques. We just need to know that that person's not other They're It's shared humanity. I love that. I love that. Um, shared humanity. I actually haven't heard you say that before. And I think that that's a really powerful statement is that we're, these are human issues. Right. But, but would you agree, and I, and I, would you agree in this, that what's happened is, is that we've allowed the, the political issues to define the categories, and now we have created an us versus them uh, culture? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's, America is just, I mean, we, for, for some reason, even though we hate being um, othered and polarized, uh, we are very adept at polarizing every issue that we, that we are currently facing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, as soon as we, and that's the thing, that's what has been really so destructive is that gay people have seen us other before. And now it almost seems like in regards to politics and different things like that, it's, it's even become even, even more so. And so, yeah, creating this us versus them, um, especially between the, the church community and the gay community. Um, that was probably the thing that really broke my heart. Um, and really I felt like when God put the burden for, uh, walls down, um, 
this ministry, um, I felt like he was showing me all the standoffs in culture, where these are actually really amazing opportunities for the Christian community to reach out and, and serve and love the gay community and have interactions that they haven't had before. And and they've actually become standoffs where we are going to fight to the death to keep our rights at the cost of keeping other people from experiencing the love of Jesus, if that makes sense. So I know there's a whole lot there and don't read into a ton of things that I'm saying, listener. <laughs> there, I, There's a whole lot of things that um, caveats that I would and disclaimers that I would say um, in conjunction with that. But at the end of the day, my rights, I don't want any of my rights to keep a person from experiencing the love of Jesus. And that the polarization issue is really keeping a lot of people from really seeing the love of Jesus, um, if that makes sense. So, Well, I think it does make sense because one of the challenges that I think every uh, evangelical Christian has, uh, but every Christian, is that they feel this tension. And it's a tension of reading the Bible and understanding what the six verses in the Bible actually says, Sure. And then turning around to their brothers and sisters and being able to love them as human beings. And so what we've done is we've created an other category in the mm-hmm. Bible, and we and it's an us versus them. And, it, and there's a fear here that if we put our arms around them and affirm them as human beings, that somehow now we're affirming everything. It's it, it, and you know there's. I mean, gosh, even in my own marriage, there's things I don't affirm about my wife and vice versa. She doesn't affirm about me. I mean, if you've ever been married long enough, you realize there's lots of things you say, you know, you're so this or you're so that. I mean, there's just an honesty there that if we were to take out an inventory of all the things that we screw up and then we actually ran it through the grid of the Bible, we probably would fail too. But unfortunately for us, we don't live in that culture that looks at these things, you know, particularly. And, and, And what I mean by that is to say that what we've done is we've taken one issue, particularly homosexuality, and we've made that the centerpiece of conflict. Now, I know why that happens, and particularly as a theologian and as a pastor and, and myself, I know why that happens, because within theology and within the church, there's been a movement to uh, called the Open and Affirming um, group that's trying to normalize homosexual behavior through the lens of the Bible and say it's okay. And so they're trying to approach it from a human issue. And I and I listen to him. I say, you know, you are trying to approach this from a human issue. However, we still have the standard of the Bible. And it seems to me that what happens in the church, particularly those who are um, biblically orthodox, meaning that they're holding to traditional views of interpretation, is that when they hold to the traditional views of interpretation, then it's almost as if they don't know how to respond to you you know, Ty who's sitting in the in the pew or the chairs. I have pews at my church. Do you have pews at your church? No, I don't. See, no. you know. Chairs. Individual chairs. <laughs> I am, I'm going to lead a new ministry called Restore the Pew. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> Anyhow, you know, but I'm you know, I'm just making light of this. But my point here is this, is that, you know, we have these, these such these hardened categories. Now, I know that you're biblically orthodox, mm-hmm. and that's your commitment. And so how do you respond to the person who's saying, yes, but I want to be true to the Bible? How do you respond to that? Well, I think one of the things is that we haven't really seen or we haven't really viewed being kind to someone as fulfilling the gospel. And so it's like when people say, well, yeah, but I want to I want to balance grace and truth. Well, part of the truth is that when you give grace and you're kind to someone, that you are fulfilling the gospel just as much as when you um, declare your sexual ethic. And so um, 
and people seem way seem way more concerned about declaring their sexual ethic than being kind and inviting people and being hospitable to people that all of those are reflections of who Jesus Christ is um, and need to be given um, at different times and so there are times when I need to give my sexual ethic and there are other times where I just need to be quiet and love the person and put my arm around them and uh, open my home to them and I don't need to mention a word about my sexual ethic yet Um, and so but we are very very antsy to give our sexual ethic because that makes we feel like that makes us um, right with God, and that's not what makes you right with God. So I think people are so um, are so ready to give their sexual ethic that they become paralyzed until they do so, um, and so they don't want to be seen from God's perspective as um, capitulating to culture or becoming soft in their convictions, uh, because that has been the number one evangelical sin is condoning sin uh, or condoning the sin of homosexuality. And I think that um, one of the things that has helped me the most personally is to really, when I think about condoning a sin, um, really, I think that creates a power dynamic where that sets me up above someone um, and says, I'm giving approval to your life. And I'm like, and I kind of had a, a I feel like an epiphany one day. I was just kind of like, um, who gave me the power to approve or disapprove of sin? I don't even know that I have the power to do that um, because there weren't any gay people that were asking, asking me for their approval to have sex. <laughs> so, um, so, so that's a, that's a burden off of my shoulders is that I don't have to, I'm not, no, no gay people are coming. No gay couples are coming to me and saying, Hey, do you, would you care if we had sex today? No one's doing that. So, so unless someone's doing that, and I say yes, then, then I'm probably not condoning sin. Well, you know, actually, I I, so, <laughs> I really appreciate that because I, <laughs> I run into this issue quite a bit, and I and, I, and you know, you I know you've worked with uh, Bill Henson of Lead Them Home Ministries as well, and he talks about approval and and this issue of approval of like who are we to think that we are you know giving approval or disapproval. And I loved this argument because what I actually saw happening was when, um, well, I had a person in my church uh, who was a mother, uh, she has a lesbian daughter, and this uh, this person just, she just felt that every time she was being kind to her daughter that she was showing approval. Mm, sure. And that created a rift. Yeah. And, yeah. and then what I saw happen was that once she realized that she could be kind, and that that was her primary role in 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 the work that she was doing, not necessarily because she's still, you know her daughter's a grown woman and uh, living her own life, and that the approval issue was not you know Im- imperative in this relationship. I watched her just become a new person. Yeah, I watched the mother become a new person. It was like she had been born again. It was amazing to watch how the gospel illuminated her mind, and I know it's improved her relationship with her daughter. And you're free to love someone. That's right. You're free to love someone. And I think that what's happened here, particularly in conservative churches, is that we've actually put ourselves in bondage in terms right. of we've having to declare our ethics first and then be kind. And I was thinking, you know, when I was, yeah, you know, when I was talking when, or when you were talking, I was thinking about this, you know, uh, the great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the great commandment is. And it's not to declare your, you know, doctrinal statement of whatever that could be. You know, that's important in certain circles. And I think that it's in, but what's happened, I think, is that we've, we've taken those certain circles and we made them normative. And then we've taught our people as pastors that we need to go out and say, declare your statement of belief. 
before you show kindness. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, Jesus didn't do that. I mean, Jesus went around, you know, healing people, going to the hurting. In fact, where Jesus had the opportunity to confront sinners, particularly, and to show judgment, usually it was with the Pharisees. Right, sure. It was with the Pharisees, the religious statement people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that when it comes, you know, a lot of people are like, well, what if they misunderstand my kindness for approval? Like, well, they probably misunderstood Jesus's kindness for approval at at certain points. Um, Jesus did not walk in declaring all of his all of his beliefs about who God was, about who he was. Um, He was just kind to people. And God says that his kindness leads to repentance. Um, And so and it and. And I don't find, and I, that's not just because I read that in the Bible. That was really what brought me to faith was God's kindness turned all of my theology about who I thought he was on its head real quick. It was one worship service where I felt very much pursued by God when I knew what I had done last night. And when he, when I felt pursued and valued and like he almost like God, almost like God desired my presence, which I thought was just absolutely fascinating. Like he wanted to be around me. When, when I realized that that's who he was and I couldn't deny that, I was like, I want to know him because I like how my heart feels when I'm with him. And when that, be, when that became the reality of my life, I was like, I'll give up anything to keep that because I, I've got to be with him. And so his kindness really did draw me to it. That's not just, it wasn't just a cute Bible verse <laughs> that I, that I have found. It's, it, it was a life change and God's, kind of still draws me to repentance in different areas of my life. And so, um, so yeah, I guess I could have misinterpreted God's kindness as, um, as his approval. Um, and yet I didn't, it's amazing how the Holy spirit works in tandem with kindness and conviction. Um, and I didn't feel judged. I felt drawn into and invited into something bigger. You know, I, uh, let me ask you this question because I'm, I'm curious about something because the kindness of God, uh, is, is actually linked to the love of God into the faithfulness of God. You know, one of the the core attributes of God uh, that we know in theology is that it's God's loving kindness. And you find this all throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, is that his steadfastness, uh, his steadfast love, as the Old Testament uh, is interpreted, that Hebrew word hesed, you know, God's hesed, um, and his faithfulness, that God is steadfast and faithful in his love. And I love how you said that God pursued you even in the midst of when you didn't feel lovable, here was yeah. this loving God, and it was the kindness of God that led you to that point of repentance. And in here on Grace Nation, we define repentance as realignment. It was the idea that uh, the kindness of God caused you to realign or align your heart with him. Yeah, And that's powerful because I think what happens is, is that who who... Who are the primary ambassadors of God's love? Well, it's us. It's us. And yes, the, you know, the Holy Spirit can work uh, as he's worked in you. Um, but what were the people like in your life? Who were the people in your, that kept demonstrating God's kindness to you, you know, throughout your life and throughout your journey? Yeah. Oh, gosh, there's been multiple people. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I specifically think of uh, when I first came out of the closet, I mean, there were most of my friends, most of the people in my life, um, it was too much for them to handle. And so they backed up, backed away. But there were certain Christians and certain secular people, you know, people of no faith that, that entered into my life. And those were the people that have meant the most to me. Um, and I, I think specifically of the Christians, um, 
they did not spend a whole lot of time telling me what they believed. I already knew what they believed. Um, I didn't really care. And honestly, to be to be to be quite honest, I did not care what they believed until I knew that they really wanted. Um, until they were until I knew that they were okay with me and that I didn't make them uncomfortable, and that my sexuality wasn't overwhelming for them. Um, that was that was re- what really spoke the most to me. And so, in the kind of the dark places of the dark night of my soul, they didn't come in with an "I told you so." They came in with a "How can I help? How can I pray for you? And can I put my arm around you and hold you?" And that to me has. Um, continued to be the, the the pivotal markers in my in my relationship with God where they um, they provided the human touch of God and they showed me what God was like that God doesn't leave you when it's tough he doesn't leave you in the dark night of the soul even when the dark night of the soul was is has happened because of your own choosing and your own choices um, they're still faithful um, they don't back away and say see I told you so um, they say, how can I be here with you? And I feel like that's exactly what God does. He is so intent on just being present with us in our pain, not removing all of our pain, but being present in our pain. So not removing our pain, but being present in our pain. I mean, that's a very powerful, a, a powerful statement. I think that sometimes what we want is we want God to remove our pain. We want to stop hurting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. But, you know, have you found, because uh, I know you, and I'm listening to your story, and, I, and, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm hearing you say, even in some of the things you said, that you still have your struggles at times. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm pretty honest about that because I think the testimony that the Christian church, the only testimony that the Christian church has wanted in this area has been the one where um, where we say we don't struggle anymore and that I'm not attracted to men anymore. And I really want to I've heard that for from for some people, and I believe that that's true for some people. Um, but for the uh, for most people, and in my case as well, that's not God has never removed uh, attraction to men or same sex attraction in my life. Um, it has ebbed and flowed. There are times where that has been very very present and right. In my, seems like right in my face. And there's been other times where it seems like I honestly I really don't even think about it that much at all. And so that's ebbed and flowed in my life. And um, for me, that has. I, I would like to be really honest because I don't like to, to set people up uh, for to feel like they need to measure up to my story um, or to make anyone feel like um, their life can't have like they can't have joy and peace and really enjoy who God is unless this problem, whatever it is, in their life goes away. And I think the power in my in my testimony and my story is that. I have a ton of peace in my heart and I really enjoy life and I really enjoy my wife and family. Um, and I struggle at, at many different points and still do in my story. And yet none of that makes my life not worth living. Um, it actually, you know, it, it, it forces me to the foot of the cross more and more and more. And, um, so I honestly, I don't even spend a lot of my time even praying that this goes away. I'm open to that. Um, if God wants to remove that, and I believe that he is more than capable of doing that. Uh, but until that day happens, whether that happens tomorrow or, um, not until I meet Jesus face to face, um, my heart is in a good place and I enjoy being God's boy. And I think that that's the greater story is that my, not all of my sexual desires need to line up for me to have freedom in my heart. You know, I think that that's a, I love your testimony, Ty. I mean, cause I, I have heard the stories that you're, you're, you're referred to. And it was also it was almost as if for a long time the church would not allow other stories to come out. The, the church said you're completely healed, and you no longer have you know same track uh, same sex attraction. Um, those like desires. It was bad PR for God, <laughs> like that's bad PR if we if we still struggle. <laughs> right, right. 
And, you know, uh, 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 and coming from, you know, my perspective here, I mean, you know, Krispy Kreme donuts, when they go hot donuts now, like <laughs> it's a struggle. And I'm not, I'm not, I am not, please don't hear me belittle. Right. No. Yeah. I'm not belittling. I'm just saying here that, you know, the little fat boy inside of me was says, oh, I gotta have that donut now. And it just, and then, you know, it's like, but I don't want it on my butt. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's the challenge there. And, but isn't it, you know, for me, I don't, I tell you, I don't know about you, but for me, I have found comfort in the struggle. You know, I have found, I found peace in the struggle. I've, I found rest in the struggle knowing that it's the struggle that keeps me coming back to Jesus of yeah. knowing that we live in this imperfect world. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think as you're even saying that struggle, I think it, it could be really easy for people to, to think that you're belittling, belittling that. But I think in the way that I hear that is, um, is that these the reason I ate was for a very deep reason. And, and, but I think that when I struggle with attraction to men, I think God has brought it down to a level that's manageable to where I don't look at relationships with men as my core reason for existence or my core reason for happiness. Um, that if I don't have a relationship with a man that's romantic or sexual, um, that somehow my heart's not going to be fulfilled. And I think that you could say that with a whole lot of our, our repetitive sin issues mm-hmm. is that even whether they seem surface level or seem like not a big deal compared to this one, that they're all kind of a, a uh, we've all found comfort in the things that we continually go back to that would say that make us feel good about who we are, even if only for a little bit. And I think food has that power. Sex has that power. People have that power in our lives. Um, so I feel like God has brought um, sex and relationships down to, although they're, it's really important, it's not the sole reason for my existence. And so I can laugh along with you, but know that at the same time, that that's a very present and real struggle in your life. Um, and that it deserves the honor of caring for that, caring for that part of you, but also knowing that it's not a life controlling issue either. Yeah. And it can be because, you know, when you have body image issues, um, you know, which I had for years, I no longer have those issues. Um, I've become quite content uh, with who I am and, and accepted yeah. it. And, you know, and I'm 40 years old now, uh, yeah. but I would say it probably took, you know, a good 35 years because when you're raised with, with negative images, mm-hmm. particularly and, and, or positive images, images that you can't attain to, you know, sure. goals, that you're, you know, I'm never going to be six two and I'm, uh, and, you know, never going to have uh, all of those features. I'm never going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, all of those kinds of images that we throw out there. And then we make comparisons it's ultimately finding satisfaction in who you are and where you are and how God created you. And knowing that, though, yes, you know, there are those challenges that we have, but finding the comfort and just resting in God. Right. And, yeah. and, that's, the, that's the biggest thing is just allow, like, that God's identity for you is to allow you to rest. Yeah. And that has been something that I have really appreciated about God. And yet I'm still trying to attain that. Um, and I still felt I'm growing into more and more of that, uh, even in body image issues for me. I feel like even this past year and a half, God has really done so much work and and allowing me to say, I like my body. And my body is a blessing and a gift, regardless of how toned or muscular or thin I am. Yeah, well, you know what, skinny guy? It's all right. <laughs> Sure. Enjoy the blessings that you have there. Look at it. Look upon yourself. You know, it, it's funny. I mean, we I think if we were all just honest about ourselves, I think everybody would find fault with, with who they are because we do live in a we live in a world full of images that are not real. 
and we and I think that sometimes that even within the church as it relates um, particularly um, into sexual identity that we've we've created stereotypes and images that are not real and then sometimes we respond negatively to them and I, I just love the testimony that you have I, I do have one uh, kind of closing uh, question for you because I think it's an important part of your story you are married and, yeah. and you you know you have a lovely wife and how has this impacted your marriage because it is it is a challenge for some people in their marriages yeah absolutely you know I think that um, you know I've been married for nine years um, and I was married probably two years after I left uh, or dropped you know stopped identifying as gay dropped the you know stopped I um, pursuing relationships with men and um, obviously you know I I'm still attracted to men, you know, I'm still attracted to men today. And so that has never gone away. And so I've had to learn to contend with that and not allow that to define my future or reality. And I felt like God was really putting in, I wasn't looking for a wife. I didn't think that, that was really possible. I wasn't attracted to women at all. Um, I was like exclusively attracted to men. And um, I felt like God really just in when I met my wife and she pursued me, actually, um, when I met her, I felt like God was saying, this is the woman that I have for you. Will you trust me with that? And I was like, God, what are you like? Seriously, what are you doing? Um, I'm just trying to have a relationship with you, and in this, that's hard enough. <laughs> so, so I don't need a whole like a whole new relationship that's going to be challenging. And um, and I felt like God was saying, Will you trust me? And I was like, God, okay, um, I trust you. If if you if this is the best that you have for me, then I believe that you will give me the capacity to love her, and. Um, to be romantically, sexually, emotionally attracted to her. And um, God has, you know, that has been a long, uh, that's probably a longer story than we have time for, but um, I do feel like God, and I know that God has given me the capacity to love her. And as he's healed areas of masculinity for me, I feel like I've, I've grown more confident and I like the man that I am. And I was able to, to really appreciate feminine beauty in a way that I had never seen before. Not that I would lust after her or lust after women in general. Uh, but I really, my heart became knit to her. Um, and when I gave myself to her, I was, my heart was like, I want to, I want to give my body and my soul to her. And I want to offer a place of strength and a full heart to her, a whole heart to her. And that became the basis of our sexual relationship. And, um, our sexual relationship, our romantic, isn't perfect. Um, be, mainly because we're both two fallen human beings that are trying to communicate well. And so, most of the relationship difficulties that we've had have been very, um, really kind of across the board. I counsel couples, straight couples a lot, and my, my issues are really no different than their issues. Um, and so uh, the things that I thought would be these massive issues for us um, in like to where I could point back and say, oh, well, we're having that issue because I'm gay. Uh, well, that really isn't the case. Um, we have issues, but None of those are um, make our relationship. Um, my history doesn't really make our relationship more difficult. I mean, it adds complexity, but it it does not a uh, it doesn't make it not worth having. Uh, my heart is very very full with my wife, and um, I really really enjoy being her husband. Um, and I'm romantically and sexually attracted to her, and um, really and I enjoy being a dad to our two-year-old too. So, um, so that doesn't make me free. Um, marriage doesn't make anyone free. <laughs> um, it adds complexity to life. Um, so it adds fullness to my heart, but it also adds complexity to my life. And, but I, it is very much worth it and I love it. So. Well, Ty, God bless you in that. I think it's amazing here to, to hear your honesty and your courage. And I want to affirm you today 
in in bringing just so much honesty into this conversation because I do think it's a blessing. I think it's it's a needed conversation to have because so often what we've done, particularly in churches now, because here you are that wonderful nuclear family, you know, you show up in church, husband, wife, child, and the last thing you want to do is to say, oh yeah, by the way, I have same-sex attractions. And, and everybody's, oh, what do we do with that? Oh my gosh, yeah, it's not what I was expecting. That's not what I was expecting. Why don't you just fight over money or something? And, uh, you know, the thing, I mean, we just, I, I think we have this ludicrous idea sometimes of what families are. And in my experience, what we have is, we have families that have all kinds of levels of brokenness. We have all kinds of things. Every single person brings to a relationship their own baggage. And right. part of part of the sanctification process, I believe, within marriage is is learning how those things impact the relationship as well as overcoming that. All right. And as a result of that, I do think that it actually brings us closer into holiness and godliness. And I think that God uses marriage in many ways to teach us more about himself and ultimately his commitment to us. So I, I, I just want to applaud you. Ty, just, we only have a, about a minute left. So how can people find out more about you? That's the first question. And the second question is, we didn't talk too much about it, but tell us just a little bit about what you do with Walls Down in terms of, do you speak? Uh, are you available for consults? How does that work? Yeah, so um, yeah. So you can find out more at uh, wallsdown.org. Uh, wallsdown.org is the website that I have um, set up, and you can uh, send me messages through that. You can inquire about dates that I have available to speak. You can see where I'll be um, and attend some of those things. Um, and so, yeah, um, I do uh, weekend conferences, speak at seminaries, speak at churches, do Sunday morning uh, services, but I also um, equip uh, Christian leaders. Um, speak to youth groups. So I really try to, wherever somebody will uh, allow me to share, not just my story, but just some of the insights about um, identity, idolatry, sexuality, spirituality, um, I feel like have been very, uh, the insights that God has given me um, have been really, really helpful. Um, and I feel like God is, um, that's not, and it's not because I'm so smart. It's because, it's because God is is really good. And I think he he's using someone that the church wasn't expecting God to use. Um, to share some insights about about sexuality, and so um, so that's that's part of what I do, um, and that can look a, and it can take on different forms in a lot of different ways. And so um, so yeah, if you're if you're a Christian leader needing uh, a Christian speaker uh, to to share some insights about sexuality and homosexuality in particular, would love to be that person for you. Well, thank you, Ty, for coming on to the show on Grace on Fire and uh, Grace Nation. If you're listening and you're more interested. And, and getting to know Ty, I'll have uh, his link uh, in the show notes, and you can follow that link uh, to his website where you can get in contact with Ty. So, Ty, thank you again for being on the show. And now, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire, a Verve Creative production. For show notes, updates, and more, visit JonathanGSmith.com slash Grace on Fire.